Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. And welcome to episode 7 of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And full of the Christmas cheer. Yeah! Absolutely. And black tar heroin, but mostly Christmas cheer. (laughs) I'm full of Christmas cheer and vault cola, so there you go. So, uh, what do we got going on this time? Or we got some more e- some uh, feedback, don't we? Yes, we do. We got three more. Sweet. Really excited about it. I'll, I'll, I'll just kick us off here. Cool. Uh, because we are all business this episode. <laughs> Besides, the last one ran almost two That reminds me, by the way, I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, I, I, I feel like I need to come clean to our listeners. You know, I, I, I deeply apologize that the episode was late. We really are shooting for releasing on Fridays. And, well, there's, I'm just, I, I can't beat around the bush. Um, truth be told, it was all Michael's fault. So. <laughs> I just wanted to clear that up and get that out there so that there's no misunderstandings. And okay, so on with the show. Uh, you got to give me a second to climb out from under this bush you just threw me under. <laughs> Actually, folks, he's absolutely right. It was me. Actually, it was work. No, I, I mean, that's, that's, no, this is, this no, is no, team. it's true. If I would No, this is a team effort, and although I will not hesitate to throw you under the bus, no, that's, I was, I was just kidding. I was, that was totally just a joke. It's okay. It's fine. They'll live. They'll survive until the next episode gets posted. They'll be just fine. We, we did get two emails, though. So. <laughs> oh, or at least I did. That's true. We did, yes. <laughs> Where's the show? Where is it? I need my fix, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, God, you know, and my wife always tells me I'm sick of listening to your shit. So it's kind of interesting that there's people out there looking forward to it. <laughs> um, first email is from our good friend Thomas DJ. And once again, Thomas does the starting off the email in the subject line, which I, like Scott, enjoy immensely. Yeah, I love that. And it says, the mark of a truly entertaining podcast is how you can't decide on your favorite moment. The description of Carter Hall as 70s suave. The discussion of Dr. Midnight's driving the JSA car. (laughs) The rather colorful speculation on what Ocean Master is doing to Aquaman on the DC special cover. Incidentally, given what the modern DC world has done to the evil Dr. Light, it makes the speculation of what he's doing to Wonder Woman, um... Creepy. (laughs) He's right. right. The The consistent use of the phrase, looks like he's eaten a lot of cheese. What does that even mean? Okay, Thomas, go to the mirror and say the word cheese, and that's the exact face that these characters are making. I always thought it meant that they were, like, really bound up from eating a lot of cheese. They got that look, too, like, oh, oh, man, I shouldn't have had all those nachos. Uh, 
Hawkman's version of how Vulcan <laughs> I think that's my personal favorite. Yes. That was the best part of the episode. You know, I, I hope this doesn't come across as terribly, terribly conceited, because I like to think that I'm not horribly conceited. I'm a little conceited, but not horribly conceited. But I was listening back to that episode and absolutely cracked myself up when I, when I got to the part where I said, no, 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 you blew him the fuck up, and I just died laughing. I was like, now that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> No, it was. I, I, was, I was very amused. Um, it, for a change. Um, yeah, you deserve that for throwing me under the fucking bus. Um, so far, Tales has been a cornucopia of these moments, and that makes it a must-listen every time a new episode comes out. And as Mike knows, I'm a major Wildcat fan. I can't wait to hear your profile of old Ted Grant. Still listening, Tom. Oh, I hope he's still listening after the Wildcat profile. <laughs> At least on your end, because I rather like. Oh, I'm just I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But I said something in the last episode about. Uh, oh, what was it? Oh, our man was was bitching and whining, and I said something about. I wish that they would take a character that I don't care for and make him. If the team has to have a resident piss and moaner, then I, I wish that they'd take somebody that I don't care for in the first place, and Wildcat would fill that that role rather than. <laughs> it's not that I don't like him. It's just he's I don't know. You know, on a team full of you know godlike beings and the fastest man alive and the most powerful alien and all these different guys. Then you got a dude who is an Xboxer and it's like, what the hell is this guy doing there? You know? So. <laughs> but then again, the Adam's the same. You know, we haven't seen him yet, but the Golden Age Adam's the same way. He's a short scrapper. Oh, great. Uh, He's Wolverine without anything cool. So... <laughs> Boy, we're going to have a lot of arguments when we get to All-Star Squadron because oh, I, that's where I, I got to like the Adam. Yeah, no, I, Plus, he's actually shorter than I am, which makes me feel good. Ah, I see. Oh, you must love Puck, then. Not after what they did to him, but this isn't an Alpha Flight <laughs> Tales of Alpha Flight. There you go. We're changing the show format. Okay, anyway. Oh, that was the end of the letter, wasn't it? I'm sorry. Yes, it was. <laughs> Wake up, Scott. Wake up, Scott. Okay, here we go. Okay, so we've got one. Uh, next one's from uh, Jose Rivera, and this one goes, This was a hilarious episode thanks to, to the denial of murder, a blind man driving a flying car. See, everybody likes that one. And Flash all but getting his wife to give to give his team a dear JSA. My son, Jay, cannot continue this fight. Signed Epstein's mother letter. I love that. <laughs> I was at work on my break uh, when you mentioned mentioned on page 19 that Alan Scott's basically screaming to the heavens, why, God, why? And I literally did a laughing spit take. It's not an easy thing to explain to your co-workers, but luckily no one cared as it was comics related. <laughs> <laughs> Going through my aunt's old comics, I can't tell you how many of these bodybuilding ads I came across in one issue. This was probably the best example of them going overboard. Had I been a little older, I probably would have developed a complex. I'm 33. I'm getting a complex yeah. already. Yeah, it's it's well, you know, it's not really until we started doing these ads specifically and really paying attention to them that yeah, it hit me too. I was like, damn, there were a lot of them. I mean, I was always aware of like all the Charles Atlas ads, but you know, so yeah. many in one issue that's crazy. Yeah, they were definitely trying to send a message, I think. This was the first time I was able to read the issue along with you guys, and boy, was it fun. I've been debating whether or not to pick up the two trade paperbacks of this run to read along or to hunt down the back issues because then I can enjoy the ads too. It's a dilemma. I would just say 
Now, of course, you know, this is me being free with someone else's money, of course, but I would say track down the back issues. I'm not a trade guy to begin with. I doubt that the ads are in there. And I doubt seriously that there's any sort of like bonus content, you know, like DVD extras. So I would say track down the back issues. They shouldn't be. And this is me not being terribly up on what the current back issue market's like these days, but they shouldn't be terribly expensive, I wouldn't think. Except maybe number 58 is probably expensive. They've calmed down a little because right around the time of Infinite Crisis back in 2005, 2006, uh, 58 was going for like 65 bucks. Yeah, I sold one right around that time, totally not thinking about the power goal. Power Girl angle of it, and th- yeah. I would have been happy to get like a dollar for it, you know. <laughs> and I slapped it up on eBay, and the copy I had just happened to be just about pristine mint. And I can't remember what I got for it, but it was a hell of a lot more money than I thought. It was at least 50, 50 or sixty bucks. It was a lot of money, and it really shocked me. I was like, "Whoa, really?" And then you know, later on, it kicked in. Oh yeah, duh, that's right. You know, she's kind of important right now, so. <laughs> But, uh, but the rest of the series should be, if you get a good eBay lot, mm-hmm. or if you know if you if you start hitting, uh, you know the back issue bins. You know I've never seen one in a fifty cent box. But that oh yeah, yeah I do. Box. Yeah, every once in a while I do. But uh, it's usually right towards the end of the series. Those, those Staten issues I'll see in the fifty cent stuff. Um, the ones that that the last I was aware are the ones that can be kind of pricey. Is when All Star folds again in the in the title well basically what happens is i forget what issue number it is mike help me out here if you remember i think it's like 74 yes is the last issue and then although the title folds the team continues in adventure comics which was an anthology title at the time some of those issues of adventure can be hard to find and pricey last i checked so yeah yes oh my god yes He goes on to say, finally, on the Hostess ad, why did Superman bother? This was an alien who wanted to commit genocide but was turned thanks to refined sugar. I love the clerk's face on the fourth panel. He's looking at Superman as if to say, really? This was your argument to save the lives of billions? Sure, why not? After reading this, I could see the clerk going to the clerk rather going to Superman and saying, "Look, I know you're a superhero and all, but that won't matter when my inventory comes up short this month. So either pay for them or give the, get those boxes back. You're trying to stop murder. I'm preventing theft." <laughs> I love it. As always, keep up the amazing work, Jose Rivera. Thank you very much, Jose. That was very funny. He's absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> All righty. Last one for this week is from Dion Cottrell, our regular listener. Thanks, as always, he writes, for reading my remarks on the air. Pleased to hear that you've had such a strong response from listeners, including so many emails. Here's hoping the audience gets even larger from here. Until next week, Dion. His comments include, One, I support the idea of adding creator spotlights, perhaps alternating with the current character recaps. As long-times JSA fans know, there have been any number of excellent creators involved with the franchise over the years, and it's their con- contributions that make the characters slash stories as memorable as they were. While I enjoy the concept of Earth 2, etc., regardless, Jerry Conway, Paul Levitz, Keith Giffen, Joe Staten, Roy Thomas, Jerry Ordway, and many, many others deserve a huge 
huge amount of credit for making the comics as successful as they've been over the last 35 years. You know, we really haven't discussed this this idea that came up about the creator spotlights, and I'm wondering what you think about it, because I've, I've got a couple ideas on that, and I, I'm wondering what your angle is. Um, you know, if, if we want to talk about when we get to a certain point, like Jerry Conway has just left. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this issue, as a matter of fact, Paul Levitz takes over as the uh, full-time writer. Right. Uh, you know, maybe a good idea to kind of look at his career up until this point, which was rather substantial, uh, over especially over at Marvel, where he, you know, killed Gwen Stacy. So, Well, here's what I'm thinking is that, you know, the idea came up to alternate or something like that. But what I'm thinking is, is that right now, granted, there's not a horrible amount of characters. But once we get to All-Star Squadron, I can see us possibly never even getting through as many characters as there will be. I mean, (laughs) there's literally that many characters to cover. So while I'm loath to add even more time to episodes, because I really would like to try to keep us to that hour and a half mark or thereabouts, you know, I'm not going to sweat the time too much as long as people, you know, aren't bitching at us that we're running too long. Maybe we could add in an actual, you know, creator spotlight as well as the character spotlight, especially when we're a little light on the character. Because, you know, last time around we did the Golden Age Superman and really didn't have a whole lot to say. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea. Yeah, so do I. Cool. Uh, number two, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 76, and Superman, number 233, both edited by Julie Schwartz, shift within months of each other, and each is a legitimate possibility for marking DC's Silver Age, Bronze Age transition. In support of 1970 as the demarcation point, we could also point out the House of Secrets, number 92, first Swamp Thing, Superman's World Finest Team-Ups, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, and various other stories of the time. Pers- uh, that said, I personally prefer transitional periods, in quotes, 1970 to 1975, for example, rather than single-issue turning points as big changes don't typically happen overnight. You know, you know, we talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, not a little bit. We talked about it for like 16 hours, I think, <laughs> on, 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 in episode 5. Um, not that I'm complaining. I'm just saying, <laughs> wow, that was the longest tangent ever. Um He's got a point here that it, that it isn't so much a single issue that defines it. I mean, for for Marvel, their Silver Age begins Fantastic Four number one. Right. There's no question of that. Right. You, you know, you're not going to have anything else without that happening. But DC and with DC, their Silver Age begins Showcase number four. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty set in stone number two. Right. But once you get beyond that, he's right. You don't have like a total. This is the issue that sets the tone for the entire universe. Right. And especially, you can't even get people to decide what to call the age beyond 1985. Anyway. Well, it's funny because in when we talked about this, um, whenever that was. And I brought up that I personally prefer to call it the Dark Age. It was like a day later. Because I'm, I'm still catching up on your views from the Longbox uh, show. I listened to an episode where you were like, I hate when people call it the dark. I was like, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> so it's funny. You know, I, I don't still know. I'm not, I'm not going to start an argument on the show, Scott. It's, it's just, you know, I, I have a very specific reason for that. But I think that's one thing we have in common is that you and I will latch onto this one little thing and become personally invested into it. <laughs> Very much so. Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'll do. Whenever the show's getting kind of slow or maybe we're dragging a little bit, I'll just say Dark Knight, and that'll just get you oh, going. Oh, God. Again. There you go. 
talk about throwing somebody under the bus. There you go. But uh, no, but he, he's got a point. I mean, a lot happened in sixty nine seventy to to start transitioning towards towards the Bronze Age. So maybe it is years because after seventy five, Jeanette Kahn comes into DC Comics. Right, and if you because a couple years ago, I actually sat down and read just about all of my books from that period of time together chronologically, mm-hmm. and there it was like almost overnight the whole DC universe got awesome. You know, it was stuff like this, you know, All Star Comics and Steel, the Indestructible Man, and the you know the Fury of Firestorm. That DC explosion marked like a revitalization of DC in the seventies. And I noticed that Jerry Conway was involved in almost all of it. Right. But uh, uh, unless you have anything to add to that, I'll, I can move on to the last point. No, no, I, I agreed with everything you said. I think a lot of that has to do with them looking across the street as to what was being done at Marvel and realizing that, you know, they may have been around forever and a day. However, the new kid on the block was, you know, knocking on their door. And so I think that's that had a lot to do with why they started to ramp up and try to, uh, you know, grow up. And that's kind of sad when you think about it, because as much as cool stuff happened to Marvel in the 70s, there's a lot of, like, repetitiveness. Uh, uh, there was a formula going on in most of their books. Right. I mean, it was a good formula, but when you look at it overall, it's like, wow, the same thing is happening month after month. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, the argument regarding Dr. Midnight's use of his IR vision as a lie detector, etc., is well taken. As you guys know, it's not uncommon in older comics for superheroes to be granted new abilities on the spot, often for the sake of given plot. Mm-hmm. I agree, too, that one such one-off edition changes may well be attempts to power the character up, whether here or elsewhere, but the changes clearly didn't stick in Midnight's case, perhaps because they don't really make the character any more dynamic or compelling than he was before. Which is too bad, as I've ov- always liked his overall look slash design. Yeah, it seemed like they were trying to make him a bit a, a, of a daredevil type character. Yeah. With with those powers. It could very well be, because I, I hope it didn't sound like a dig, because I really do like Dr. Midnight. I, I, too, think he had a really good overall look and design, and I think he's cool, but he's cool in that undefinable kind of way, because... You know, you look at him and go, oh, I like that guy. He looks neat. But beyond that, name something cool he ever did, you know? So yeah. it, I mean, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> he's always just kind of there, mm-hmm. hanging out. And if you need a doctor, he's a good <laughs> character for that, too. So, you know, especially when he comes out and makes pronouncements that people are dead, even though... Or that unless a miracle occurs, <laughs> Dr. Fate will die. <laughs> Moving on from that, thank you, everybody, for writing. Yes, thank you very uh, much. We only had three this time out, but we read, like, about 70 <laughs> last week. So, uh, again, that's not complaining. It's just, wow. <laughs> I was editing that episode, and we got to the 40-minute mark, and I'm like, we're still talking about emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I was listening to uh, that latest episode and realized that we didn't actually start talking about the issue we were reviewing until, well, there was like an hour left in the show. It's like, wow, what did we talk about? But it's awesome, man. I'm not complaining. No, no. We Scott and I are very committed to reading emails. Yes. Every bit of email we get, even if we have to start, if we, this is going to sound arrogant, if we get enough, if we get enough, we'll have to devote an entire episode to it. But we almost did, so I guess it's not as arrogant as I thought. No, but you know, you write, we'll read it, uh, unless it's profane or just plain uh, offensive. 
You know, if, if, and, oh, I like and, profane, and include, though. Well, profane as in supporting certain theories and, and, and ideas that maybe don't reflect ours uh, and have nothing to do with comic books. Uh, I see. Uh, and, and to that one guy, stop telling us that we won a tobacco contest and they're getting like one million GBP. <laughs> because because that's not funny, especially with how much money I don't have right now. So it's just like, oh, 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 it's spam. All right, this has nothing to do with anything, but you reminded me of something, and I thought you might find this humorous, since you also are originally a northerner, now trapped in the south like myself. Yeah. I went to the pool this summer, you know, over by where my, uh, my in-laws live, and they have their list of rules up, you know, like, you know, no pissing in the pool and stuff like that. And somebody had a handwritten sign up that said, no profound language. And I got a real kick out of that. <laughs> no profound language. <laughs> I'm going to dive in the pool, but are, is the pool diving us up? Okay, pal, you're out. Get out. No. We don't want any kind of talk there here. No. You, free thinker, out of the pool. You look into the so- pool. The pool also looks into you. <laughs> But we are going to continue with our look at All-Star Comics number three. Yes, we're like seven episodes in at this point. We're still talking about All-Star Comics number three, but there were a, a lot of stories in that one. <laughs> Between uh, last week we discussed Our Man, this week we're going to discuss Sandman, but there is a one-page gag here of the Golden Age Red Tornado. If you're unfamiliar with this character, it was basically this very, how do I describe her, uh, healthy woman in a neighborhood that basically adopted a superhero identity to impress her kids. Ma Hunkel, who is currently the curator and housekeeper of the uh, of the JSA Brownstone, which is, you know, how I want to keep the old, uh, the first female superhero that was maybe a member of the Justice Society around. Let's have her as the housekeeper. But then again, Wonder Woman was the secretary, so <laughs> this group doesn't have a really good uh, good track record with that sort of thing. But she shows up, and they're like, "Hey, you know, you know, come on in." But she's covering herself with a cape, and she leaves rather quickly. And then you realize when she was swinging into the the room from the window, she uh, she ripped off her pants. So, uh, yeah, she wasn't wearing any pants. Hmm. Her boots are still on, but no pants. <laughs> this is the most... I mean, I understand, like, a dry sense of humor, but wow, this is like the freaking Sahara. Um, <laughs> there... <laughs> There is a splash page uh, before the next story of all of the other books that the characters you're reading about are in, and it's absolutely beautiful. Yep. Uh, you, you have a Fla- uh, Flash Comics, which has Hawkman. You have All-American Comics, which has Green Lantern. More fun comics with the Spectre. Our Man's on the cover at Adventure. You have a Action and Superman covers on one side, and on the other, a really neat Batman cover of Batman and Robin running towards the camera. That's right out of the TV show, or would be used in the TV yeah. show anyway. And, and Detective with All-Star in the middle, which is, it, you know, it's basically here where you realize, yeah, as much as they're trying to tell good stories and, and have some fun, this is basically, buy all these books, Right, which which would cost you a grand total of ninety cents. God, yeah, I'm gonna cry too. Anyways, we start off with the Sandman story, which was written by Gardner Fox with art by Chad Grothkup. God, I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> with Everett Hibbert and Sheldon Mayer. 
also. Uh, Sandman begins the story with a huge chip on his shoulder. Well, gentlemen, as you know, I have no superhuman abilities. I'm just an ordinary fellow who doesn't like crime or criminals. So I invented the gas gun and adopted the identity of Sandman. Thus equipped, I do my best to, to aid justice. In other words, I'm just a normal guy, you with the ring and you with who and you who run fast. I could do just as good as you. <laughs> I promise. Stop laughing at me. No, I love the Golden Age Sandman. Especially this iteration with the suit and the cape and the hat and the gas mask. Sandman begins his story. Uh, he, uh, in his identity of Wesley Dodds, and Dion Belmont are driving along and come across a man who is 20 feet tall. Wesley notice, notices that the man is hurt badly, and they rush towards him, only to find him dead. They also discover a hypodermic needle, which confuses them, and Wesley heads off to call the police and do some snooping. So, as Wesley Dodd says, I heard newsies calling the headlines when we reached the city. Uh, Stop it. You're thinking about that newsies movie, aren't you? I hate musicals. Stop it. Stop it. I, I, I like that movie. You just you just hate it because Christian Bale's in it. That's oh, that it. could be it too. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I like that movie. Shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> moving on. Since Scott's a big fuddy-duddy about musicals, yeah. uh, <laughs> sorry. Wesley grabs one of the uh, newspapers and they read about a bag of bones, basically a human skin bag with bones inside of it being discovered, and after some more back and forth between him and Deanne, he has her drive so he can change into Sandman, which makes no fucking sense. How are you changing into a three-piece suit with a cape and a hat in the back of a car? It's not like he can wear the suit under a suit. That makes... Oh, God, that bothered me. I don't know why it bothered me, but it bothered me. (laughs) After being extremely rude but polite, because when he bursts into this uh, this hospital, he co- he keeps going, "Sorry, lady, I'm in a hurry. My apologies, to, my apologies to you too, but I'm in a mighty big hurry." As he's gassing somebody. <laughs> so not only do you have this guy bursting into your office, but he's like slipping you a roofie and apologizing <laughs> at the same time. The Sandman rushes into a hospital and finds some files concerning a Dr. Faversham, who is a who is noted for his pituitary research and was banished from the possession. Not, not run out, not fired. He was banished from the profession for performing some daring experiments on rats. How do you kick somebody out of being a doctor for experimenting on animals? This was the 30s. You know, <laughs> the, 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 the child labor laws really weren't in effect now. How the fuck are you, like, like was PETA around in the 30s? I doubt it. God, I hope not. I don't want them to be around now. Anyways, the cops bust in and Sandman fights past them. Who And at this point, Sandman has had enough of apologizing. He's just like, I'm just going to fight you. i, I got to stop apologizing. So Deanne and the Sandman travel back to the giant they had seen earlier and find him nothing but a sack of human flesh with bones inside of it. They rush off to find Faversham and come across a giant rat who is being chased by a giant cat. This is more reasons to, to love the Golden Age, folks, because only in the Golden Age will you have like a semi-serious adventure and in the middle of it, giant animals running around for seemingly no reason. <laughs> 
They watch the animals die and use their tracks to find Faversham's house. The Sandman braves gunfire and finally gets into the lab where he finds a man who is about to become another one of Faversham's victims. The man reveals that Faversham has put out huge insurance policies on him and the others, and once they die, Faversham collects the money. Faversham shows up and thumbs and through dumb luck, the bullet he fires at point blank range misses. So Sandman knocks Faversham out and wraps up the case a little too quickly for me. But you know what? This is the second story in a row that came down to insurance fraud. <laughs> this was actually an episode almost of Law and Order Criminal Intent. It was the one with Larry from Perfect Strangers as the dude with Asperger syndrome who's basically killing all these homeless people that they insure so that they can collect the money. Oh, God. Same thing. Same thing. Awesome episode. I like the line here. He says, uh, firing at me, point blank. How he mi- how he happened to miss me, I'll never know. Yeah, you and me both, Sandman. So <laughs> <laughs> what is with Faversham's, like, bug eyes? Maybe that's why he missed. Maybe he, like, needs... Maybe He probably normally wears, like, Coke bottle glasses, and he just couldn't find them fast enough. He could find the gun, but he couldn't find his glasses. <laughs> he looks like Judge Doom from Who Framed Roger I was trying Rabbit. to think of who he looked like. You're right. That is who he looks like. <laughs> Stop that but laughing! <laughs> I love that. Movie. I do, too. But Did you hear they're working on a sequel? I don't know how to feel about that. Well, at least it's not a remake. Yeah, this this is true. But no, it's, it's a, now, from what I heard, and I heard precious little, so you know, take it for what it's worth. But from what I heard, it's actually uh, Zemeckis who directed the first one. It's, oh, good. It's on a sequel, so I'm actually excited about it. If they could, if they could get Warner Brothers and and Disney to play nice again like they did back in '88, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Does that mean we're going to have the Marvel and DC characters in it this time too? Since Disney now owns Marvel. Ooh, that could be that could be cool because you know Spider Man was in the book that uh, became the movie, so you never what know. What was that book called? It wasn't who's, Frame who's Roger censored Rabbit. Roger Rabbit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've never read it, but I've, I saw the cover. It's eh, at best, but uh, it's eh. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great. I love when people describe things as that because it's like I didn't hate it, I didn't like it. It was there, and I read. Yep, it. exactly. But next time, folks, we got a Doctor Fate story, and uh, leafing through it, it's goofy as hell. I can just tell you that right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that was wacky. Man, the art's all over the place, and that it. Yes, it is. I mean. Though, uh, though, in a related to Sandman, I, I recently came into possession of, uh, and that doesn't mean that I illegally downloaded it, folks. I actually have the books uh, of uh, almost a full run. I'm missing, missing like one or two issues of Sandman Mystery Theater, which was a Vertigo book, basically created to tie in, to not tie in, but to kind of trade off the name Sandman. Because at the point that that book came out, Sandman by Neil Gaiman was, like, the most important thing ever. And if you were a pretentious comic fan in the nine, in the, in the 80s and 90s, and I'm not saying that only pretentious people read that book, but I got so much shit from Sandheads for liking superheroes in 1992 and 1993 that they can all die in a fire. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm not still angry about it. But no, they, they decided to kind of trade off that name, and they and Matt Wagner, creator of Grendel, and uh, what was that other book he did that they brought? Mage. Yeah. Uh, in addition to doing some really great miniseries a couple years ago, 
based on early issues of Detective Comics with Batman that I really dug. You know, he wrote this. The, he wrote the Adventures of the Golden Age Sandman, set in the Vertigo universe, I guess. Though some of that has been brought into the main universe by James Robinson and Starman. Uh, but it but it features a really big retcon from the All Star All Star Squadron. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm just excited that I got these books so cheap. What the hell is up with Doctor Fate in this? So I know you're going to cover it next time, but I'm just <laughs> looking ahead here. Every almost every frame of Doctor Fate looks like he is sporting some serious wood. What the hell am I looking at? Oh my god! Oh my god, you're right. Oh man, I'm disturbed on all kinds of levels. <laughs> Is that the helmet of Naboo in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> Put that spirit well, we'll... destiny away, damn it. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay, anyway. <sighs> All right, where are we at now? What do, what do we got going on now? Oh, the main feature, <gasps> Star Comics number 63. Hey, okay, okie doke. I knew there was something I was supposed to do. Okay, so we are going into number 63. This is uh, We're going back to November, December 1976 for this one, covered by one of my favorites, Rich Buckler, also uh, Wally Wood. And this one is depicting... A absolutely ginormous Solomon Grundy just whooping the shit right out of uh, Hawkman and Wildcat. He's uh, he's actually grabbing Wildcat in such a way that Wildcat doesn't look like so much that he's being hurt that he's like, whoa, 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 watch out there, pal. <laughs> look, you're, you're not my tailor. You don't have to feel my inseam. Get away from me. <laughs> Shouldn't you at least buy me dinner first there, pal? <laughs> we got the Fiddler in the background, and we got uh, Power Girl coming up from behind Grundy. But I really do like the cover. It's... Uh, I don't know that uh, Buckler and Wood make the best the best team, but I still really like it. I can see elements of both artists in there. And then uh, it's got a little inset picture of Dr. Fate on the table. Now, he doesn't have his helmet on. It's just a blonde guy with a blue shirt laying there. And every time I catch just a quick glimpse of this cover, it always looks like either Captain America to me, I guess just because of the way a piece of machinery is, is placed there, it almost looks like the edge of the star on his outfit. And then if you look at it real close, he looks a lot like Val Kilmer to me in that picture as well. But Yes, he does. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> he really does. Maybe yeah, maybe he'd be as boring of a, of a Kent Nelson as he was as a Bruce Wayne. Oh, harsh, harsh, harsh. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I actually have nice things to say about Batman for I do, too. I do, too. I like that one. <laughs> we got, uh, I don't know, was this on the last issue where it says the legendary Justice Society of America at the top? I don't remember if it said that or not. It, it said something like that, but we are... This is uh, we are only three issues away from the Super Squad going away. Completely. Thank goodness. Yeah, it still says with the Super Squad on the on the cover, but yeah, they're I think they're going to fade away here pretty soon. Okay, so writer on this one is Paul Levitz. Illustrators are Keith Giffen and Wally Wood. Original cover price thirty cents, and the story is entitled "The Death of Doctor Fate." Oh, dun 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 dun. Roll call for this one is Hawkman, Wildcat, Power Girl, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, The Star Spangled Kid, Our Man, Doctor Fate, and Doctor Midnight. What an awesome one! It is. I'm telling you, all the big ones are there. 
Okay, so we open to a splash page of Wildcat knocking the daylights out of Hawkman as the Fiddler plays and Solomon Grundy looks on. Wildcat, held sway by the awesome sounds the Fiddler is laying down, proceeds to beat the holy hell out of the winged wonder. (laughs) The Fiddler is intent on having Wildcat kill Hawkman, but stupidly stops playing just so he can gloat. Wildcat snaps out of it, and before the tune can resume, puts the serious smackdown on the Fiddler. Solomon Grundy, responding to the pleas of his teammate, joins the fight. Wildcat is completely outclassed by Solomon Grundy and about to have his brains brains bashed in when Power Girl triumphantly reappears and saves her pal. Wildcat asks how she freed herself from being buried underground last issue, and she says that, quote, Xanadu misjudged how much digging a healthy young Kryptonian can do. Now, <laughs> don't I know it? Now, I, I, I got a big kick out of this because I am a huge fan of the Super Future Friends podcast, which covers the original Silver Age adventures of the Legion of Superheroes. I highly, highly, highly recommend that show, by the way. And I'm yes. always shocked, amazed, and deeply disturbed when they point out the absurd amount of digging time and general earth moving that Superboy and Supergirl did in all those old stories. It's freaky and unnatural and hysterical. I'm serious. They actually keep a tally now whether or not there's tunneling in in each issue that they (laughs) – and nine times out of ten, there is tunneling involved. It's just bizarre. I have to start listening to the show more because I like Oh, yeah. They are very, very funny. Um, Anyhow – Superman turns uh, turns back up as well, having freed himself, and he and Power Girl fly Grundy away and drop him into the cooling volcano. Hawkman, whom I expected to be worse for the wear, I mean, after all, Wildcat is a former undefeated heavyweight champ who, you know, beat the fertilizer out of him. Uh, That's an important distinction, by the way. I hate to interrupt you, but uh, but some writers want to make him more of a middleweight. Right. And, and I'm and boxing is I don't follow boxing, but boxing is one of the few sports that I actually like to watch mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And a heavyweight and a middleweight, it, it may seem like just a, a distinction in a, in a weight class, but it's it's a it's a difference in fighting styles as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean he uh, he was really laying into Hawkman, so you know I expect yes, Hawkman to, to really be wore out, but. He seems to be pretty much okay. He uh, reminds the group of their mission, which is to find his missus. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, remember? Yeah, exactly. My wife is kidnapped. <laughs> Douchebag. Just thought I'd remind you. So Superman says he was unable to rescue her earlier, which causes Hawkman to go off the deep end, and Superman delivers an odd and awkwardly out-of-place speech about how they are just poor, foolish mortals who dream of changing the world but usually can't. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> well, way, way to rally the cause there, Superman. Good luck. Yeah. Well, like I said last time, there's almost always at least one what the hell moment in each issue so far. And, you know, this one's just keeping with the tradition. So this is a. I really want someone to animate them, too. Not so much the, the actual saying, but the everyone being really uncomfortable around them. Like they say it, and there's like a serious moment of a pause. And you hear the crickets. Uh, just everybody looking at each other and one of them shrugging like, I don't know. <laughs> so it was, it was a really strange and bizarre bit of dialogue from Superman of all people, you know? I can see somebody like, oh, I don't know, one of the one of the 
lesser-powered guys or one of the, the lesser-popular guys being like, oh, it just feels like we never really make any headway. But Superman? Superman saying this? Nah, it just uh, it's, it, it, I really wasn't comfortable with, with Superman, of all people, being like, well, it doesn't really feel like we ever make any difference in the world. Superman, come on! All right, anyway, meanwhile... Green Lantern and the Flash have arrived in Egypt looking for a cure for Dr. Fate's condition. Now, you know, people talk about comic booky. This is comic booky. You know, yes. you know, it's not like he was poisoned or gas. He had a friggin' apartment complex fall on him. You know, what the hell kind of cure are they looking for here exactly? <laughs> you know, th- this kind of thing just drives me absolutely bonkers. So anyway... While they discuss the situation and decide to consult a seer, they witness a man on a winged horse fly by overhead, and we get the standard more on this next issue. Um, Now, I hope this man on the winged horse is who I think it is, because I absolutely love that character. Oh, it is. Okay, so I haven't read ahead yet, so we'll find out, you know, together next time. Back at the uh, JSA headquarters, Dr. Fate flatlines on the operating table, and I can't help but wonder if maybe Dr. Midnight, uh, you know, if he hadn't been screwing around changing into his superhero duds for no good reason whatsoever, (laughs) that maybe Fate might have pulled through. So, I mean, you know, it's not bad enough, I guess, that the only medical help that could be mustered was a blind guy, but then he takes a powder in the middle of this drama to switch his outfit. You know, what a dick. So he and uh, our man and the star-spangled kid do take Fate's death pretty hard, though. And when the trouble alert sounds that uh, Xanadu is back, the uh, morose midnight, you know, he doesn't follow the others into battle, basically. He he stays behind to pout and throw his outfit around. High overhead, star-spangled kid and uh, our man battle Xanadu, uh, who has Shiera Hall in tow with him now. So the battle rages, and our heroes get in some good licks, and when Xanadu has finally had enough of them, he is preparing to muster the ultimate whammy when his, quote, unholy power literally rouses Dr. Fate from death. Fate rises and blasts Xanadu. So, covering from his attack, Xanadu finds himself faced uh, with a sight sufficient to make most bad guys wet themselves. You know, we've got Superman, Green Lantern, and all the others braced to stomp him, but good. Defiant and cut off from Shira Hall, who he was utilizing for some sort of power play that I didn't ever quite grasp exactly, Xanadu starts to pull, you know, this sort of, okay, now you're really going to get it, when he's suddenly back inside the block of Amber again. And Dr. Fate, channeling Joe Crusada, says it's magic and has re-imprisoned Xanadu. <laughs> Don't think about it. It's there magic. you go. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> Crisis that averted. So uh, in the epilogue, Superman announces his retirement, which I got to be honest, you know, it read to me like he was saying, I'm Superman and I got more important shit to do than hang with you assholes. And he insists that Power Girl be elected to full membership in his place. And somewhere, Icicle, leader of the Injustice Society, plots to strike at the JSA through its weakest link. Our man? Our man's the weakest link? I don't know, maybe because he's been doing so much pissing and moaning, but yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much the issue. It, it, you know, as much as I liked the fight in the beginning, because I did, I, I really enjoyed it. It was it was a good comic book fight scene. 
just with the whole Xanadu thing going on in the background, it, it just felt like I said la- last at the end of last issue. It feels like out of place. I know they're setting up something else, but it's not done smoothly. It's just like all of a sudden, the Fiddler and Solomon Grundy want pants too. Is you know are, are, are attacking uh, Wildcat and, and, and Hawkman. And I guess if you're gonna have backup, Solomon Grundy's the guy you want at your. Oh yeah. Because who's really going to kick your ass after that? It's like you beat me. You got to deal with the uh, with, with the undead zombie behind me, and he's been to the moon and back because they mentioned that. Yeah, that's actually one of my notes that uh, we we can talk about that if you like. You know, people talk about the early Marvels cross continuity, but you know they mention here Superman three hundred one, and that really does play into the Solomon Grundy part of here, you know, I really like that it's tied together so well because Superman 301 mentions all-star comics, you know, when it tells about how, you know, it sets the whole Grundy story up and then, you know, Grundy's appearance here references back to Superman 301, which has just happened. I love that issue, by the way. It's, yes. uh, it's yes, one of my I... favorite and earliest comic book memories you know i used to go to uh one of my grandmother's you know her house and she had this small stack of you know comics that had belonged to my uncles and superman 301 was in there and i used to read it and read it and reread that issue i loved it and it was nothing but this huge knockdown drag out fight between superman and solomon grundy beautifully illustrated by uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Yes. And just a great, great story. I highly recommend it. And it was reprinted in uh, Best of DC number 32. Really, really good issue of Superman. Well, in all honesty, after uh, Superman number 300, which I've never liked. Um, That's the uh, sort of Elseworlds kind of story where he comes yeah. to Earth modern day. Oh, I like that story. Uh, I've got lots of issues of that story. But he comes to Earth on February 29th, 1976. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's my birthday, <laughs> literally. So I, I have some connection to it. But we're not going to get into that right now. Maybe maybe at some point on Back to the Bins, I'll bring that around to read and, cool. and talk about Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, I loved the fact that Wildcat was thinking that he was in the ring when he was fighting, yes. uh, when he was beating on Hawkman. And... And I just had this image. This is a man. I, I didn't know that he had given up being a boxer to be Wildcat. I was unaware of that until I read this. But there's something like he's trying to, the music that he's listening to is having him reclaim his glory in the boxing ring. And there's something kind of sad about that when I was really thinking about it. Thinking about it a little too much for the fight scene that it was. But it's just, I had the, I literally heard the crowd cheering and, you know, the, the thing of the bell ringing and all that. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little bit of Rocky music thrown in, even though that was a couple decades before. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Ted Grant, you know. <laughs> maybe Ted Grant was going to fly now. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I really dug it. I really did. Now, you said he gave up his career as a boxer to be Wildcat. I guess I wasn't really aware of that either. I always thought that it was, you know, he was, he was the boxer. He retired as a boxer, then became Wildcat. You know, I guess like for something to do or something. I didn't realize he actually sacrificed one for the other. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, boxers' fists are considered lethal weapons in a court of law. And Ted Grant's retired from the ring as undefeated champion to wear the Wildcat mask. I'm like, oh, okay, that's 
that's kind of weird. I thought he was he was boxing all the way through, but hey, <laughs> shows what the hell I know. <laughs> um, page four, we have another cheese moment with Solomon Grundy there in the that last panel. Let me see page. Oh yeah. <laughs> Grundy is just so all over the place artistically in this issue. Yes. I mean, <laughs> he does not look the same from panel to panel. Well, I noticed his dialogue is totally Hulk dialogue, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, they actually, uh, years, decades, literally later in that uh, in that Justice League episode where they were aping the Defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solomon Grundy's dialogue was very, very Hulk-like. Solomon Grundy mad. Solomon Grundy smash. (laughs) And of course, as I said before, Solomon Grundy want pants too. (laughs) Makes me laugh every Every time. time. (laughs) Um, I loved Superman and Power Girl showing up to take on Grundy. Mm -hmm. Because they're really the only ones that are going to be able to take him down. That's why I like Grundy as a villain, though. You know, DC does not have a lot of Hulk-like characters. You know, just brutes that are incredibly strong. Right. That can just tear up a lot of stuff. And and as much as I read comics for the stories, and as much as I read them for the characters, I am a sucker for collateral damage-heavy fight scenes where two characters are just beating the living piss out of each other. Ooh, I just it, it, I just caught what could possibly be an error. Really? I don't know. Maybe you you decide, I guess. But uh, all right, there's that panel of Power Girl and Superman latch onto Grundy and fly him away and drop him in the volcano. But yeah. when Super when uh, Grundy had just fought the Earth One Superman in, in Superman three hundred one, the Earth One Superman, who I believe is infinitely more powerful than the Earth Two Superman, yes. couldn't pick Grundy up for whatever reason. He tried to and was a- unable to lift him. Hmm. So that's interesting. I don't know what the whole dynamic of that would be exactly, but interesting. Probably just a uh, uh, you know. To you know, a, a writer referencing what another writer did, but only in the fact that hey, he was over in Earth One. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time, though. So, but 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 you know, I I am like you. I I didn't notice this one, but I do pick up on stuff like that, and I'm like, sir, third, what, what you got to understand is, <laughs> I won't go any further because I'm not going to make fun of my fellow obsessive compulsive comic book fan. <laughs> Hawkman's a little overdramatic. Uh, you were talking about Superman delivering his speech, right? Uh, with his squinty eyes, I guess to to kind of look more dramatic. But Hawkman's like some superheroes. We are. We stop Vulcan, but only after we, he he almost kills Doctor Fate, and we drive Xanadu off, saving the city of Tokyo from being completely destroyed. But then we let him take my wife again. Heroes? Ha! I'm not sure we're even men. <laughs> we are Devo. <laughs> I, I I I guess I guess that's what led Superman to say what he was. He said maybe maybe he's being nice to Hawkman and looking even more like weird. Like if I say something really weird here, they'll all forget Hawkman's little hissy fit. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm just gonna remind you. But yeah, 
that winged horse riding character is exactly who you think it is, and I'm really excited awesome. because of it because I like yeah, him. he's I like him a lot. He's one of my favorites. Well, you know, going back to that Superman panel, it, it just occurred to me that all right, this is what Superman says: says we're what we always were, Hawkman, mortals, poor, foolish mortals who dream they can change the world when usually they can't. Uh, but I won't stop trying, and I swear to you, old friend, we'll find Shiera uh, if we have to cross the globe a thousand times to do it. And Power Girl's behind him looking all like, wow. But Hawk, uh, Wildcat's standing next to him, and that look on his face is a total, what the fuck are you talking about look? It's either that or I am so baked right now. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he uh, he does. He does have that kind of a. Oh, it's funny. That's very. But Power Girl does have that kind of. I'm not going to get into what the look I could describe it as because that's a little too creepy since they're cousins. But <laughs> I want you so bad right now. He is all that is man. <laughs> On the next page, I'm a little uncomfortable with with what that gravity rod looks like, but. That's all I'm going to say. I've noticed that many a time in this, and I have <laughs> refrained from bringing it up. But since you did, yes, it does very much look like uh, the, the, like he would be popular with the ladies with, with <laughs> such a device. Yes. Our man sure gives up easy, though. <laughs> At the bottom. <laughs> but Dr. Fate is dead. Our man, are you certain? There's no reading on the screen. He can't have gone that quick. Certain? Gangsters blinded you years ago, Midnight, not me. I'm the man of the hour, and I'm telling you, Dr. Fate's hour is over. What a dick. He's got to remind the blind guy that he's blind. And then, just to make sure that Dr. Fate's dead, he punches the machine that was keeping him alive. It's like, man, I like our man, but he's being a douchebag. Uh-huh. Though I will say that the the shot of Our Man and Doctor Midnight walking away is kind of is kind of dramatic. Yes. Um, yes. You know, you know, they've just lost their friend. It's just given that he pops up alive a couple pages later, takes the wind out of that sail. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the the rest of this issue is exciting, but in all honesty, it does really nothing for me. Uh, mainly because I don't like Xanadu. Well, speaking of doing nothing for for you and not liking Xanadu, what ultimately was the fucking point with this character? You you said that it led to something else. Now, if, if you can tell without spoiling it, I'm just curious what what it did, leads. Did I say? That? Oh, I thought you did. Oh, maybe I mis- maybe I misunderstood you. Uh, but I mean, it's worse if there really wasn't any point other than this just gave them somebody to fight for two issues because he was lame. Yeah, he yeah, just wasn't wasn't the best. I, I, I mean, I did like the JSA showing up at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, like like we're gonna we're gonna beat you like we rented you, and you know, Doctor Fate then having his dramatic resurrection. You know his his hands going up and you know like he's about to do like a like a sleepwalking thing, but it just it just ultimately goes nowhere. You know, Xanadu is an ugly character. It was it was a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> I knew. Completely... Damn it! I knew you were going to bring that up too. Um, just just a horrible horrible movie. And I love the fact that when he is frozen in the amber again, he is in kind of a disco position. <coughs> Like, the next time he's resurrected, it's kind of like um, Dr. What's-His-Name from the Mystery Men movie who's obsessed with disco. 
And <laughs> if played by Jeffrey Rush. If you play that Olivia Newton-John music underneath this part, I'm done, man. I'm done. I'm totally done. I'm just telling you right now. Thank you all for being here for the last episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. Oh, God, no. <laughs> now, this is the closest you and this music are ever going to get again, so just just suck it up and deal with it. Just ride with it, man. Just ride with it. <laughs> well, you know, you were talking about the creepy, you know, I totally want you thing going on with Power Girl. Look at that very last panel of her and Superman yeah. together. They're, they're arm in arm, and she's once again giving him that... Oh, I want you so bad. Look, so yeah, that's just. Oh, God. But you know, he's the last Kryptonian man. She's the last Kryptonian girl. You know, the cousin thing might be off the table at this point. You never know. Hey, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, the paper of record in the Metro Atlanta area, on their front page back in 2002, did have an article saying that science scientists say that you know first cousins. Not as bad as we once thought. And I'm like, are you really going to put this on the front page of your southern newspaper? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was under the fold, but still. Sometimes they play to that stereotype so well that I just really, really get amused by it. But I do get the feeling that Superman, you know, Superman's one. He's proud of his cousin. I, I, I like that. And he's just like, you know, yeah, there is that. I've got sh- better shit to do in my life than hang around with you douchebags. But uh, but it is it's kind of nice you know they had that argument in the previous issue and this is him going you know hey she's doing a great job she's my replacement in the team and even Power Girl is like appreciative of it and I think Superman's also doing it because he's still pissed with Wildcat because mm-hmm. I get the feeling that Superman has heard through the superhero grapevine that Wildcat has been giving his cousin some shit. Mm-hmm. And and he's not the you know he knows Ted and he knows that's how Ted is so he's not going to go up and say you stop saying that or I'll you know <laughs> I'm Kryptonian and you're not but still it's just like I get the feeling when he said you know and I insist you elect Power Girl uh, to full membership as my replacement that he was looking Wildcat dead in the eye right <laughs> like the crap ends now Jackass well, I like Wildcats in the background going what. <laughs> What's with the cosmic scales? I don't. I, I don't know. And 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 I know that's icicle, but why? Why is like everyone else in shadow looking like they're all wearing the same costume? I mean, this gives no hint as to who the rest of the Injustice Gang are. I'm I'm kind of glad that they're th- they're there because it seems like we're actually getting back to having some JSA villains. Uh, even though Degaton looked all freaky, you know it was nice that Brainwave and Degaton were the first two people they fought. Right. Uh, and why is Alroman the weak link? Is I, I forget why there was a reason. They maybe because so he's uh, maybe because he's dependent on the on the Miracle or something. Maybe maybe there's some drug. Th- I really don't remember either. That's that's the you know one thing I do remember though. Is where do I see it here? Um, okay, it was in the letters page. The last letter says something about uh, something about the artist or something like that. And it's uh, in the answer back. It says Wally Wood will no longer be working over Keith Giffen's layouts. He'll be doing the complete. Oh, I see. 
I misunderstood it. I was going to say, this never happens, but I misread this. I thought what it was telling us was that next issue, Keith Giffen will be going solo. And I was really looking forward to that. But I happen to know for a fact that Keith Giffen isn't even in the next issue. So I actually <laughs> misread it. Wally Wood is going solo with uh, with all the art chores next time up, which is – that's fine. I mean I don't dislike Wally Wood, but I'm just – I'm disappointed because I really wanted to see more uh, more, more Keith Giffen. But, uh, that letter is from Woodhaven, New York. Isn't that near where you grew up? I don't know. It doesn't. Doesn't. I, I guess I'm remembering that wrong. I, I apologize. No, I, I may very well be. I just I, it, it doesn't ring a bell off the off the top of my head. All righty, that about covers the the issue. And now we're getting. Oh God, you know, I, I, I'm I'm just going to come right out and say that say this. Last issue was a lot of fun, but the ads were kind of lackluster, mm-hmm. and that is all made up for in this. Yes. Movie because there are just so many great ads. Uh, you know, we have the prizes for cash thing. Is that another grit thing at the beginning? Oh, the Olympic way. Oh, God. Unless they don't have that creepy superhero guy that the Olympic ads <laughs> would eventually have. I always uh, I always got the feeling that he was, like, taken away more, uh, because of moral charges later on. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to skip over... The, the the ad that is a, a listener favorite to cut right to for a sensational summer visit the galaxy of greatness the DC line of superstars yeah what do you like on this page? I like Cobra I, I only <laughs> I only have two issues but they're the only two issues that in my opinion of course are worth having which is number six and seven with stunning, beautiful, gorgeous, knock your right out of your socks, Mike Nasser art. And I can't help but feel that that title might have lasted a hell of a lot longer if he had been on, been the artist right from the get-go. But I can't remember who was the opening artist on that for the first five issues, but it was just lackluster. But man, six and seven, if you ever get the opportunity to pick them up, pick them up. Beautiful, beautiful artwork. Really, really good stuff. I will because uh, doing the show and and talking with you and and being completely disgusted with DC currently, uh, it's making me go, wow, I need to check out that 70s stuff. Because I have some of it. You know, I have a good chunk, but there's a lot of stuff there that I don't have. So uh, that I will be collecting in single issue form. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I... I don't think this stuff is out in trade paperback, but I found out some things about the royalty system for trade paperbacks, and it made me kind of mad about how much money creators aren't getting yeah. with these trades yeah. out. And that that kind of, you know, I'm not a person that really gets on soapboxes, and I'm, you know, and, and, and when I take a stand, I'm usually very private about it. It's like you, you'll never know when something pisses me off because I just don't talk right. about it. But, you know, when I heard about it, when I did a little research, and when I talked to some creators, actually, you know, it's just like, look, if you're going to screw these people over, screw you, I am buying the single issues. It doesn't give them any money anyways, but at least I'll have the issue to love and cherish <laughs> rather than having kind of a soulless trade. Right. So, uh, you know, 
So yeah, uh, eBay and I are about to become really good friends. Well, I know we're running a little long for this one, but I just wanted to throw out there while I'm thinking about this, I want to invite you personally, Mike. Um, you know, my, my good buddy uh, Will Sanchez and I, we keep tossing around this idea that unfortunately keeps falling to the back burner, and I really want to dust it off and get it knocked out here sometime in the new year, which is uh, we want to do a show all about, like, the unsung, the unrecognized, the kind of, you know, forgotten, if you will, um, creators in comics over the years. And I'm telling you, Mike Nasser's right near the top of my list because I loved this guy's art. And he just kind of fell off the face of comics one day. He eventually came back, and uh, and now goes under the name Mike Netzer. And I hate oh, to say yeah. it, I don't I think his, hearing about yeah, that. I don't think his art is as good now. You know, I hate to be harsh, but I just don't. But back during this time in the seventies, he just did a lot of like one-off stuff. You know, but man, I always liked anything he did. He was just a fantastic artist. Anyway. Yeah, that Cobra 6 and 7. Teen Titans of this period, which is also in this ad, I didn't think a whole hell of a lot of. Although I do like the art in this. I don't know who this artist is, but it looks nice. Detective Yeah, Comics. Detective. Who is that artist? Is that Irv Norvik? Uh, it might be. I. It's an incredibly old-looking Jim Gordon. Yeah. Uh, who apparently raided Clark Kent's wardrobe. He looks more like the uh, Alfred of the television show than he looks like Commissioner. He looks exactly like the Alfred of the television show. Oh, my God. Yeah. But uh, but speaking of like seventies books that I want to get into, I really want to start getting into seventies Batman, and this this ad really made me like excited to do so because Commissioner Gordon kidnapped the ransom Batman's secret identity, mm-hmm. uh, a secret even Commissioner Gordon doesn't know. Um, yeah, he does. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think he might. Even even in this era, he knows Bruce Wayne's Batman. Come on. <laughs> He's the best cop in Gotham. He put two and two together. He just doesn't talk about it because, you know, it's it's not... It, there's knowing and then there's knowing. Right. And if you know, you have to do something about it. Even though this in this time period, Batman got along with the cops. But if you don't know, then it's okay. You know, it's why I think he would talk to Bruce Wayne so freely about police matters. Ah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, But down at the bottom, you do have two of the TV series titles, including Super Friends, number one. I was never a really big fan of that Super Friends title. If the Super Friends title had had the art that they're showing with Superman right there, I might have actually dug it a lot more, but I never cared for the art in that book. But uh, you also have Welcome Back, Cotter. I almost said, Welcome Back, Cotter. The Sweat Hog Strike. Are they a supervillain? (laughs) (laughs) Up your nose with a rubber hose. Seriously. (laughs) Leave me alone. Dance, you idiot. Oh, man. (laughs) We got a Sugar Daddy, Sugar Mama, and Sugar Babies ad. Rot your teeth. I never liked those. No, I don't either. Especially the the sugar daddies because they always broke my freaking teeth. Yep. Hard as a rock. I know we're not supposed to bite sugar daddies. Um, (laughs) There's some commentary from my wife, folks. (laughs) You're not supposed to bite sugar daddies. Um, Slim Jim ad. Gotta love Slim Jim ads. 
but the 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 center the center page yes. is all you. It's oh all you, dude. God, I love this. This is a giant two page spread, but it's one of those ones you have to actually turn this book sideways, just like a good old fashioned Playboy, to really appreciate it. And we got uh, all right. This is the Saturday morning lineup. You've got on CBS. You've got. Uh, 8 a.m., you've got Sylvester and Tweety. 8.30, Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner. 9.30, Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. I actually kind of dug that show a little bit, even though I wasn't the biggest Tarzan fan in the world. But at 10 through 11 o'clock, you had the Shazam Isis Hour. And, oh, my God, did I love Shazam. I loved that show. It was actually a live-action show where... uh, Billy and uh, and this old dude named Mentor, they traveled the highways and byways of the land. In- <laughs> I knew you were going to yeah. say that. I love to say that. <laughs> we, you know, they had they had their Winnebago and they just traveled around and you know it was it was very simple stories you know that that were made to you know teach kids you know nice morality tales and stuff. But damn, I love that show. I, I really enjoyed. It. I, I even liked you know they had two different Captain Marvels for that show, and I even liked both of the Captain Marvels. But a really really cool show. ISIS, I have fond memories of. But I tried. I'm sure you. Oh yeah. But, you know, I tried to watch some of that not long ago, and I found that it didn't. At least to me, it didn't live up very well. But the the Shazam stuff. Maybe it's just the fact I just can't be harsh about it because I, it meant so much to me as a kid. But I, I've watched that in you know I have it on VHS in like zillionth generation, really really shitty VHS copies, and still loved the hell out of it. I thought it was a great show. Um, arc 2, which I only have really vague memories of, but I love the art. By the way, this entire page is uh, is Neil Adams, and it's really fantastic artwork. But yes, Arc is. 2 was a cool show. It was, again, with the Winnebago thing. It was like this space Winnebago, and it was like the last family. This this scientist and his family just traveled around like a post-apocalyptic world and did something I can't really remember. All I, you know, the only thing I really remember about that show, other than the space Winnebago that they had, or future Winnebago, was in the very first episode, or at least the first one I ever saw, the father had a, a real rocket pack and flew around. You know, you ever see those like really huge bulky jet packs that they had back in yeah. the seventy? Yeah, he had one on the show. It was like the big. Was that live action? Yeah, yeah, it was a live action show. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. Uh, Clue Club, which I don't remember very. Oh God, I hate this yeah, show. It looks it, lame. It, it, it's a Scooby Doo ripoff, made even worse by the fact that that white dog on the page mm-hmm. thought that he was the greatest detective yeah. in the world. This was something I would watch on USA's Cartoon Express. Okay. When I was a really little kid, <laughs> uh, because they would show all of the crappy Hanna Barbera stuff. And the and these type of cartoons from the seventies. So I didn't. I never liked it. But the only Scooby Doo ripoff I ever really got into was Speed Buggy. I loved Speed Buggy. I thought that was a cool. <laughs> got Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. Which, uh, Bill Cosby looks really good in that. I mean, a really nice art there by uh, by Adams. Way Out We're Games. Talk which... about some JSA. <laughs> Way Out Games, which looks a lot like that Nickelodeon show that my kids watch where they, I don't know, they have to go through like an obstacle course or something. 
And then uh, Children's, the CBS Children's Film Festival, which is ho- hosted by Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, which I never liked. They weirded me the fuck out when I when they would come on TV. Those are some creepy, creepy yeah, damn they were, puppets. Jesus. Yeah, they were disturbing. I never, never. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Let's see what else we got. We got another subscription page, which I like just because of the uh, the Neil Adams Superman running at you, holding up a, a copy of Superman three hundred just to taunt Michael. We yes. got. Uh, we commented on this amazing world of DC Comics last time. It's the same one with Superboy and uh, GL by uh, Mike Grell. What else we got here? <gasps> we got a return of the Slash Fic Kid with the Batman Superman hangups. So. Uh couple pages later oh okay yep you're you're a page beyond me i was looking at the giant oh, the giant seven foot tall monster ghost for a doll <laughs> you could also get a did you have one no no i didn't i always look those obeys your commands oh god <laughs> get the hell out of here does it obey that command that's what i want to know Oh, and, and for the for the adult comic fans of the time that still lived at mom fast track to a cool job train at home to be a motorcycle mechanic <laughs> Get a job, hippie. Yeah, there you go. All right, now this is the one. All right, I saved this last time around, but I got to comment on on it this time. I actually dug it out from my collection so I could talk about it a little bit authoritatively. This is, there's a nice ad here. Only six ninety five back in the day. God, what a steal! Even back then, that you know that that's yeah. a good price. This is a collector's treasury. It's a soft cover, like I guess today is what you would call a trade. But it's yeah, so a little bit oversized. Yeah, it is a little bit oversized. It's a, it's a big, beautiful book. It's called Secret Origins of the Super DC Heroes. It has an absolutely gorgeous Neil Adams cover of a DC logo laying on the ground and the spotlight's coming down and then all of the heroes are running out from the middle of the of the spotlight. You've got Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. You've got Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, Hawkman flying away, Superman flying with the atom on his shoulder. You've got Batman, Plastic Man. I love that. Yeah. Flash and Green Arrow. I could just gush about this book all day. I have... We could do an entire podcast on this We book. need to really examine it. Maybe we could do that. Do you do you? Own this book? Yes, I do. I bought it at Dragon Con 2008. You know what? I got it for twenty bucks. Let's let's do that. Let's uh, you and I will get together sometime and we will do a uh, whole in-depth examination of this book on Back to the Bin sometime. I'm up for that because I, I, I for that. you know we I know we don't have a lot of time left and and I uh, I could really go on all day about this but I, I would just say I have a huge huge sentimental soft spot for this book and I tracked it down a few years ago on eBay specifically because when I was in I believe it was middle school this was in the middle school library and I just kept oh. renting it out and renting it out and renting it out and to the point where I was hoping that one day they'd just give me the damn book you know, because it was never there because I always had it out and I loved it because it's every character I mentioned there is an origin story and then there is another story with them and this was uh, well well, it, was, it, it wasn't so much that as they would do like the section on the Flash. You had the origin issue of the Golden Age Flash, followed up by Showcase Number Four. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really neat way to show the differences in the two characters. You're right. Yeah. Now that I'm flipping through, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because the GL one does the same thing. You've got the the uh, Alan Scott GL origin, and then you've got mm-hmm. the uh, the 
Hal Jordan GLR. You're absolutely right. What what I, I think what stands out to me the most in this particular issue is the '70s origin of Superman. Which you know, I always yes. thought that uh, I always had the impression that. Um, Neil Adams had a hand in that, and you know he actually didn't. It really is all Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, but it's just with a little bit of Carmine Infantino. Mm-hmm. He's he's given a oh credit, yeah, so right. I, I think yeah. he probably did the layout. Yeah. but this is I'm a fan of Man of Steel. Uh, I even kind of liked Birthright, <laughs> but if you're gonna give me, if you're gonna ask me to give you like a, the definitive Superman origin, yeah. that is the yeah. One. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, because this is the one I grew up with, and and this was the Krypton that I really liked. But also, the other big deal for me, the one that kept me renting and re-renting this from the library, was it has the story, I want to sell you the right issue number, and I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure it's Batman number 47. But it's the origin of Batman, but as well as being the origin, it's got probably my favorite Batman moment of any Batman comic where he finally confronts Joe Chill, the man that murdered his parents and tells him you know, that I know what you did because I'm the son of the man you murdered. I am Bruce Wayne. And it's I love that ending of that story is like a kick in the, it's like a kick in the stomach. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a great story. I read it for the first time in the greatest Batman stories ever told Mm -hmm. trade back in, uh, that was released around the time of the movie. Uh, and I, and I agree with you. It's a great story. Great story for a golden age story. It's got a lot of emotional. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story as a whole, I, I think it's a, a great story as a whole, but just that one moment keeps mm-hmm. me coming back to that. Just the fact that that was the, the Batman's whole purpose in life was to track this guy down and and bring him to justice. And with this issue, he finally does it and, and love it. Love that story. So, yeah, but there, I mean, there's tons of other great stories in there. The, uh, the original Jack Cole Plastic Man origin, great stuff. The original CC Beck, um, Captain Marvel origin, great stuff. So yeah, yeah, we we definitely have to talk about that sometime. Yes. Also in the ads, we have uh, another beautiful Neil Adams piece of artwork on the 1977 Super DC calendar. You know, one of these days I've got to track these calendars down, man. I, I was about to say the same thing, actually. <laughs> do you, Do you have any of these? No, unfortunately, I don't. I really need to get them, though. Just, uh, God, I'll take a copy where, like, somebody, like, wrote in their birthday. Oh, yeah. In the in the freaking thing. I just want to see, I just want to clip out the art, essentially. Because I know that the pinups are probably awesome. Yeah, me too. There's a bunch of these 70s ones with really great art in it, you know, at least on the cover anyway. And, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't own any of them, but I, I'd really like to start tracking them down. I mean, I'm going to have to start keeping a watch on on eBay or something for those. Um, did you want to talk about this one actually has a Daily Planet feature in the back. No Answer Man column, but... Uh, not not yet, but, you know, after the back-to-school fun with the Super Friends, which is just a bunch of superhero school supplies, which I thought were really cool, <laughs> uh, including a Bat-copter that goes on top of your pencil. Uh, yes, it was uh, the first time we've seen in this title the Daily Planet section. And this becomes a staple of DC in the late 70s and early 80s, where you just have... Basically, it's ads for other stuff. But 
this is like the first time where you get direct currents, which told you what was on sale August the week of August 23rd. Right. Like Batman Family number 8, DC Superstars number 9, GI Combat number 196, and Superboy 221. And there is a trivia quiz. Some of our DC titles have been around since the dawn of comics, but do you know which is the oldest? In what order did Action Comics, Adventure, All-Star, Detective, Flash, and Star-Spangled Comics? Ooh. That's a tough one. I can do Detective, and then Action, and then beyond that, I'm I'm lost. Probably Adventure is probably the next one. I think it's Adventure, Detective, Action, Star-Spangled... Flash and then All Star, but I could be wrong about that. Adventure would be before Detective. I think Adventure. I think it's Detective Adventure or Adventure Detective. Yeah. I know More Fun was their first first title. New Fun or New Fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at your freaking <laughs> handle on <laughs> Skype, and I get that wrong. I am an idiot. <laughs> nah, I don't feel bad. No, I mean it was only New Fun for six issues. And then, yeah. then with uh, with number seven, it became more fun. But, yeah, anybody that knows me knows that just about anywhere that you can find me on the Internet, I go by New Fun number six as my title, only because I used to own a copy of New Fun Comics number six. All righty, folks. There wasn't one last week. We were very disappointed. But this week, we have the hostess, <gasps> Green Lantern. Yeah. Hal Jordan, and the fruit pie scene. We open with Green Lantern walking in on a scientist and there's a dude tied up on a chair and and, and the first bit of dialogue is, what's going on here? I'm what's going on here, Green Lantern, and you're what's going down. My name is Dr. Live. Spell that backwards and you'll know what trouble you're in for, my nosy friend. My small nosy friend, that is. Watch yourself, Green Lantern. He's up to no good. You bring me back to size or you'll be sorry, you quack. And why should I? I want to add you to my collection. You fiend! Yes, thank you. There's only one way out of this, or should I say, only one way not to get in. The power ring flashes. Boom! And an emerald beam enlarges him and the other captives. Thank you. (laughs) Go ahead. Thank you, thank you. I I didn't mind being small in a small bottle, but I was just about to bite into my delicious hostess apple pie. What? (laughs) No one wants to do the one. Hang on, I'll do it, I'll do it. (laughs) Me too. Only mine was cherry tundra lightly. I'll bet. I'll bet it was. And I kept trying to eat my hostess blueberry pie in the bottle, but my mouth was too small. What agony. And with real fruit filling, too. Well, folks, now you can have a big time again. Green Lantern, you defeated me. I'll have to change my name to Rasal. Spell it backwards, and you'll know what I mean. Hostess Fruit Pies, it's no its no small thing to enjoy such a big taste. And as usual, you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you get the sense that when Dr. Uh, Live said spell his name backwards, that there was like a moment of Green Lantern going... Oh, evil. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now he's Dr. Rasal. Oh, my God. Loser. Yeah. (laughs) What a great ad. I'm sure that woman has a cherry tender light crust. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. Do they... did they do it on purpose, do you think? Do you think they made the woman with the cherry You know, pie? sometimes, now that I'm an old pervert, I look at some of these things in comic books and think, there's no way that they didn't 
get the possible double entendres to some of the things that they wrote in these. I, I, I really think that it was them sliding it right past kids that wouldn't get it. I really do think that. Alrighty, last part of the episode. <gasps> that, character uh, spotlight. Character spotlight this week on Our Man, because he's such a Debbie Downer in the, the last <laughs> couple of issues. But Our Man is Rex TikTok Tyler. First appeared in Adventure Comics number 48 and was created by Ken Fitch and Bernard Bailey. Rex was a chemist that worked at Bannermain Chemical and he invented the Miraclo pill. Experimenting on himself, he discovered the pill gave him superhuman strength and stamina for an hour at a time. And we joked about this last time, but we're going to joke about it this time. Rex Tyler invented Viagra. (laughs) He decided to keep the discovery a secret and set out to become the hero of Appleton City and placed an ad in the paper as the man of the hour. He found his messed up... Co- I, you you like his costume, I like his costume. The cape looks like a bath towel. It does, but it's uh, still cool, though. But he found the costume at an abandoned costume shop, and boy, does that show. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he kind of just pieced it together, which is what I like about some of the Golden Age costumes. That that It's like the Guardians. But at least it doesn't look like he's colorblind. At least the, the, you know, the, the colors all match, and it looks really cool and dynamic. Whereas somebody like, oh, say, Green Lantern, for example, as cool as I do think it looks, you, you still look at it and go, dude, that outfit doesn't go. Even I know that outfit doesn't go together. <laughs> and my wife tells me I can't dress myself for shit. <laughs> Yours, yeah. Um, Rex was a founding member of the JSA, but he left the group in 1941. He came back in the Silver Age with everybody else and had a, had that team up with Dr. Fate that we mentioned in Dr. Fate's uh, thing, where they fought the Psycho Pirate and Solomon Grundy once pants too. And you know what? That pretty much brings us up to date on Our Man. Uh, he, he's an interesting character insofar as he's a character that gets his powers by taking drugs. Well, I, that also makes him kind of one of the first uh, the first times that comics would sort of deal sort of kind of half-assed with the subject of some sort of a, an addiction, like a drug addiction. I like that a- angle to him, you know, that... Yeah, they haven't really done that yet. Mm-hmm. The, the, they'll start playing it up here, and they definitely play it up in, in All-Star Squad. Right. Uh, but, uh... But it's it's a fine line to ride. It's like that Captain America story. Uh, uh, what was that called? It was, it was in the 90s where he got rid of all of the super soldier serum in him because he felt it was a drug and that he was on a drug, which I'm like, no, it wasn't, but okay. That, that's well, fine. I don't remember that. I must not have read that. Yeah, it was, a, it was one of those six-part bi-weekly Stories that Marvel did in the early '90s. That's not the one where he turned all skinny, scrawny, is it? No, okay, no, no. Th- this is the one that U.S. agent shows up, and you had a badass fight between the Red Skull and Wilson Fisk, where the wet Red Skull just freaking owns him. Huh? <laughs> because at that point, the Red Skull had the body of Steve Rogers. So. Oh, so this is much okay. This is much later than what I'm thinking. I, I was thinking this was like a '70s tale. This this must be like no, it's a '90s. Yeah, okay, tale. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I haven't read a lot of that stuff yet. But but I've always kind of liked Our Man in that same way that I like Doctor Doctor Midnight. You know, it's just like he's he's got a cool look about him, but I don't really know that much about the character, and I was never really a big fan of his son, uh, especially that early costume which looked 
fucking hideous. Yeah, he, Our Man to me is one of those characters I latch onto. There, there's a lot of characters over the years, especially DC, you know, lesser known characters that I've latched onto over the years, thinking one day somebody is going to pick this character up and run with him and make him awesome. And that just happened not long ago with Catman. Catman is for years has been yes. one of those characters I thought, God, this guy could be cool. Why doesn't somebody use him? Thank God Gail Simone finally is making him as awesome as I always thought he could be. Someday I think somebody's going to do the same thing with Our Man. I think he's got a lot of potential to be a really awesome character, but for some reason has always pretty much just been one of those kind of cool background guys. But yeah. He's he's a good supporting hero in the in the group, but he's not like Jay Garrick or Alan Scott, or even freaking Wildcat. So uh, one thing that's always driven me a little bit crazy with him is that maybe it's just me, but it always seemed to me very inconsistent with the with the hour at a time thing. Because yeah. I always thought it was supposed to be where he only got to do this like once a day or once every so many hours. Yet I know that there's times where I saw him back-to-back pill-popping as well. So I never quite got a handle on exactly what was the gimmick. I mean, if he got superpowers for only an hour at a time but could immediately take another pill, I thought that kind of – Cheap and defeated. Yeah, the, yeah. It defeats the purpose of the of the of the gimmick, right? Because then you're just making him powerful all the time. Right. But the drama there is, oh my god, the hour's about to run out, and I'm holding up a building. Right. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. That's uh, you know, I actually never saw that story, but that's the story I always wanted to see. You know, yeah. where where he's in a life or death struggle with, I don't know, somebody masked like Solomon Grundy or something and barely holding his own. And then all of a sudden he can feel the miracle starting to, you know, that, that hour is just about up and, Oh, you know, what am I going to do now? Kind of thing. Uh, you know, those, those are the stories I think where you could have some really good dynamic tension with him where, you know, he would suddenly go from, from being all brawn to now, well, I'm going to have to use my brains and get myself out of this situation. I think I think there's a lot of drama to be had in a story like that. And there's also drama to be had because he's a chemist, so obviously he's, he's very intelligent, especially to invent something like this. So maybe he was the skinny, smart kid in school, and now he has a drug... That uh, or a pill, I guess I should say, that gives him the ability to be the strong, heroic, Ooh, yeah, muscular guy that he's always wanted to be. That's so, that would be a good angle too. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, fanfic, here I come. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a great angle. You know, even even more than say Superman. You know, Clark Kent turning into Superman or. Uh, you know, Billy Batson with his magic word, the thing where you literally got a guy who's a skinny, scrawny dork, but all he has to do is take a pill and he's suddenly awesome. Yeah, that's man, you you've got you've got all kinds of uh of stuff you can play with, you know, in, in that angle. Yeah, especially if you made it a, a, a really play on the Jekyll Hyde aspect of yeah. that. Make him make him, you know, totally one of us, you know. Somebody who's no, I mean, the, the, make him a stereotypical nerd. As much as I, I hate the stereotype, you know, it, it exists for a reason. Make him a stereotypical nerd where he's socially awkward. You know, he maybe he's a little funny looking. You know, he's he's totally into himself and and all that sort of thing. 
and but he pops this miracle and suddenly he looks like a movie star he's got the deep voice and you know he can throw cars and buildings around and man i i think man you could really milk that and make that a, a hell of an interesting read i think yes you could Especially if he if he could even develop a bit of a of a a Bruce Banner thing to where maybe the dork side of him starts to really resent mm-hmm. the more heroic side or something like that and doesn't want to yeah I don't know there's all kinds of potential there. We've just created the first year and a half of an hour man. <laughs> well, one more bit of business, Scott. With uh, where else they can find this? This issue is reprinted in Justice Society Volume One Trade Paperback. Go buy it right now. Like I get any money off of that? <laughs> You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm.